One thing that I will say that is a personal um, pet peeve of mine is when belly dancers say, like, gypsy people, they don't have anything to do with belly dance. And that is not true. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories secrets and tips with you Hello everyone, you're listening to Belly Dance Live podcast and uh, today we will have a very interesting research topic, I believe, because on today's podcast I have as a guest Christine Raesi, who is a Romani researcher, activist and performance artist. She has been heavily involved in activist work on behalf of the Romani community for several years, serving on the board of directors for the California-based non-profit Voice of Roma and as an independent consultant, lecturer, administrator, creator of the free online GED program geared towards Romani adult learners, as well as she worked on many projects involving Romani representation and was a panelist at the Conference of Romani Studies at UC Berkeley. I found a bunch of different articles and things about her and I can go on and on with her research <laughs> uh, work and I'm sure we'll uh, mention even more of her achievements and uh, experience during this interview. But at this point, I just want to welcome you to the podcast, Christine. How are you? <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's a great opportunity to share about our community and our dance and I really appreciate it so thank you oh my pleasure and I'm very excited to go into this topic because it's one of the maybe not directly belly dance topic but very very closely related I feel but uh, before we dig into uh this your research and uh, your activities uh, can you tell us please how did you get involved into belly dance I was interested in all kinds of topics from a young age. I've done a lot of different research in different areas of culture and languages and people. I think I've always just naturally been curious about um, different forms of expression that different people have. And what really caught my attention was um, Middle Eastern music. And I found it actually just at my local library when I was in high school. And I made the decision when I was 18 that I was going to go to the Middle East, which I did. And I lived in Lebanon for a while. And that was really my first in-person experience with Arabic music and culture, people, language. And um, I think since that time, I have always continued to study more about the culture, the people, the politics. I mean, I'm more of a bigger picture kind of person, so I like to see the interconnection between how things are expressed um, 
through the arts that are happening socially. As far as belly dance, um, I was dancing really just kind of informally at parties, um, getting pulled up at weddings or having women show me like, no, you don't, you do it like this, you know, but I didn't really get serious about formal lessons and training really till about five years ago. And then um, I was really fortunate to meet an amazing mentor in Alaska where I was living. I'm in Houston now. But from there, I've just um, continued my study. I mean, in a nutshell, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't want to go too far into that. But basically, (laughs) um, that's how I got introduced and how I really got more serious about this dance form. Mm, I see. Well, it's always uh, interesting to know and uh, have uh, like this uh, overview of, okay, what role validance plays in the life <laughs> and because it will affect in sort of way like the conversation as well and totally. uh, for your interest and your activities in a uh, uh, Roma topic about the culture can you give a little bit background to why you started what was your impulse to start because you do a lot of uh, work not only research but activist and uh, i could find a lot of things about uh, what you did But uh, what was the um, sort of background, like, you know, this, if you don't mind sharing, maybe like yeah. some personal impulse to start doing it? Um, I think for me, I was not really open about my identity as a Romani person growing up. Um, it wasn't really until I got in co- into college and um, took, honestly, a class called Women of Color by this amazing um, professor. And that was really the first time I ever saw myself represented in a class setting. I mean, obviously here in, well, I don't know if it's like this in other countries as well, but you know, you almost never are taught anything about Romani history or people um, through the educational system in the United States. So, Um, just kind of hearing her talk about some things that I was feeling and maybe couldn't really articulate at that time, it sparked something inside of me that I should feel more pride about my heritage and I should um, maybe try to show what some of the good things about our culture are and what some of the challenges we face are. Because being... um, I mean, I'm kind of in a unique position because I have lived in a Romani community. I mean, I'll, in, in addition to being Romani myself, but I'm also formally educated and um, I have a master's. And then I've done this activist work with these different organizations and, and people, sometimes not a formal organization, but at the grassroots level. So I have this unique perspective that I feel I can offer And I'm adding dance to that <laughs> as well. But I would say, like, being in college and just kind of having my eyes open to a little bit more worldly perspective of what other communities are doing and how they have used activism to help people in their own communities and to help the broader society understand more about who they are was really inspiring to me. And it really um, kind of was a catalyst for me to also do the same thing with my own community. 
Mm, that's awesome that's a very inspiring uh, <laughs> uh, message but uh, yeah like you were inspired by someone and i'm sure now someone looking at your activities can be inspired <laughs> to take their actions too on whatever subject it can be uh then i was looking and doing my pre-research for this <laughs> interview <laughs> i saw that you have a bunch of articles uh written about roma and romani culture and uh, First question that I would like to sort of go more deep into this topic is uh, like I think the closest connection like uh, or first interaction maybe with Romani culture for belly dancers it will be then we see on the CDs some track called Romani and most often in the brackets will be the word, word uh, gypsy or sometimes just gypsy gypsy song gypsum balkan or whatever it is <laughs> Uh, right. Can you give us a little tour into those terms and is it the same? Is it different? What's going on there? <laughs> okay, so the word gypsy is a term that outsiders ascribe to us. It's not the term that we use for ourselves in our own language. Um, and this term is uh, one that a lot of us do not prefer because it is rooted in misinformation and misunderstandings. This term was applied to us when we first entered Europe with the mistaken idea from the local population that we were Egyptians, um, which obviously were not. That was shortened to gypsy. So this also is a wrong, a wrong term because it's misleading as to what our origins are. Um, Currently, uh, the most recent and even historic um, linguistic evidence and more recently genetic evidence point to an Indian origin for our populations. Now, the other thing that makes this term problematic is that it can be applied to a lot of different groups that are not actually descended from the same um, ancestral population that we are descended from. So you have a lot of groups, especially in the Middle East, that might be um, nomadic or pastoral nomads or tradespeople that might be a completely different ethnic group, but it's just easier to refer to them as gypsies. Uh, so the dominant society does that. So it can also be confusing as to who you're actually um, speaking about. I mean, people, th these people might be Turkmen or they might be... Um, you know, another uh, Kashgai like in, in Iran, or they might be, you know, completely unrelated. So because of that, um, it's also a term that we don't like. And the, the other reason is that, unfortunately, this term also has a lot of stereotypes associated with it that are negative. Some of them are very romanticized, um, such as, you know, being overtly sexualized, especially for women or being temptresses. Um, also, the idea that we are criminals and wandering, roving gangs of thieves. So for all of those reasons, this is also uh, why this term is not good. The term that is more respectful um, depends on the group that you're speaking about. Because what a lot of dancers may not understand is there's actually three separate groups. Um, there is no overarching term for the three. So you can say, you know, 
gypsies, quote unquote, the first group uh, that we are related to or that comes from the same ancestral population is the Domari. They left um, India before we did. So people are estimating, I mean, Romani scholars estimate that they probably left somewhere between the 6th century to the 10th century and went into uh, parts of the Middle East, into Iraq, into um, the Levant, and also North Africa. So the people that are the modern-day populations of uh, what are referred to as Kaldia or the Gawazi, those people are actually Domari. Um, the Roma, which is the population that I'm from, as well as the second group, which is the Lom, or they're sometimes also called Lomavren or Basha, all left at the same time. And we arrived in what is a modern day um, Iran, Armenia, and then parts of Georgia and Turkey in the 12th century. The people that are Lom or Basha stayed there and they are still there today in, in those countries as well. The Romani people continued on into Turkey, into Europe. We arrived in the Balkans around the early 13, early to mid 1300s. And then from there, the population spread out. But the original ancestral population from India gave rise to these three. So we're all related. I would, I think of it as the Lom and the Domari being more like kind of cousins. <laughs> um, to us, but we do all descend from that original population. The other thing that I would say regarding this term is that these populations became what we are outside of India. So there are no Romani people inside India because we were a conglomeration that left and then our language and our culture and everything that became the markers of our identity are what we absorbed through our travels and through our contacts with other populations in these different countries. Um, and you can see that through our language, um, certain customs. I mean, I don't want to make this too long, but um, what I wanted to say is that if you are speaking about one of these populations, um, you can say Dom they're Domari. If you're talking about the Gawazi, if you're talking about Romani, you can say Romani. And if you know what their subgroup is, because there are groups underneath of these as well, you know, it's better to just refer to who you're talking about because it's more specific, it's less confusing, and you can use a term that the community is using for themselves instead of using a term that's been ascribed to them that is a misnomer and that can be taken offensively. Mm. That's a very interesting point. My closest connection to this dance was then I got interested in Turkish uh, Romani dance and uh, I tried to do some research in that and that's where I also start sort of differentiating, okay, I probably should not use term gypsy, more Roma Romani. But at the same time, I always question, uh, is it really about term or is it about meaning that we put in the term because even if you talk about ballet dance or oriental dance in north america 
Many dancers would be offended. What do you mean oriental mm-hmm. dance? Are we sexualized? Is it in Asia? Like something has with Asian culture? What, yeah. Why? It's belly dance. But if you use this term in Europe, many dancers would prefer to use mm-hmm. oriental dance or dance orientale from more French because what do you mean belly dance? Is it a, a dance of belly? <laughs> like, you know? <sighs> so, right. This gypsy, like, I do understand. Uh, it's very cool that you actually described that this term sort of embraced very different groups although they have some connections because they have historical roots in india but it's still different groups because they got their identity once they left india and they were getting their identity during their immigration because it was different groups they had different migrations so it's different really groups of people yeah. and sort of gypsy it sort of gets everyone the same but they're not really the same people uh, right, and at the same time, something comes in my mind because I literally had a, a situation, two situations, opposite ones. Once that musicians, Romani musicians, they were talking to me, "What? Like I'm a gypsy? Why? I, I want to be called gypsy? Like I'm proud of it?" And they were actually mm-hmm. stating, "Like, no, why you call me? Like I'm gypsy. Call me gypsy." Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I know a person who is actually not one, several, like. Romani and they were not okay to even acknowledge that they are Romani not even talking mm-hmm. about term gypsy like even if it's a uh, used appropriate term for their group so how does it really work on a sort of day-to-day base if you're not talking necessarily about well I don't want to really divide or oh, there is a research level and there is a day life level, but sort of like on a day to day basis, like why the situations occur? Because it makes total logic uh, not to use term gypsy, but at the same time, we have people who prefer to be called gypsy. And I mean, maybe not majority, but some of them, let's say. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there are people who don't want to be called even appropriate to their identity, like a Romani, or, or why why is it happening, these mm-hmm. contradictions? Well, I think um, there is also a divide between people who are, there can be. I mean, the issue here is you're talking about millions of people who are spread across many, many countries. So I would say that even among every you know, if you interviewed everybody, you would not get a consensus completely. But um, there's also a difference or can be between people who are involved in the performing arts and who are thinking about how to market themselves so that people know who they are and they know Mm. what's being talked about. And then people who are in the community who are using you know, whatever terms that they prefer. And then people who are involved in activism and who are thinking about representation on a higher social or political level and gaining um, more respect and recognition for the community. So these three groups of people will have different ideas about what terms they feel comfortable with and why and how they want to engage with them. Um, I did actually have, as you were saying, another person on a chat thread. This was on Facebook. Of course, I try not to get sucked into too many chat threads on Facebook, but um, (laughs) sometimes, you know, you want to chime in with something. And so someone was asking, um, 
well, what about the Gypsy Kings? Because they use that and, you know, that's the name of their band and they're, you know, Gypsy too. And why do they do that? So um, my response was, you know, for Romani people, depending on what group they're from, what country they're from, because there's, as you said, we're actually very diverse. There's many, many subdivisions. Um, A lot of the groups that are in Spain, unfortunately, were very, very persecuted. And because of that, have limited speakers left of their particular dialect of Calais. They are using Spanish terms to refer to themselves. Um, So you might hear Gitano or Gitana. And some of them Some of them that I know that are from those communities are now starting to use Roma specifically because it is a word from our language that means people. Not having the access to our language can mean that people use terms that the dominant society has labeled them as. And for some people, especially if they're older, they might be comfortable using that. They've used that all their lives and um, they they may not see a problem with it. I think that's a decision for people in the community to make themselves because this is their term. I mean, for better or for worse. So I think they should be afforded the right to choose the term that they want to be identified by. It's basically a question of who is controlling your identity. And so I think that should always come from within the community. From people outside of the community, I feel that, um, you know, just ask. I mean, if you, you know, you were having this conversation with these musicians and they said, we like this term, we want to use this term and we want you to, we want you to say this then that is what they're directing you to do. Um, And as a performing artist, and even for me, when I I recently gave another uh, lecture on this topic, in the promotional materials, I said, Gypsy, I put it in quotes, 101, but then I said, Romani, Domari, and Lam, you know, history, cultures, and dance, because um, not everybody is familiar with these are more um, with these other terms that are coming from our community. So, I mean, Gypsy is not going away, but I think it, you know, unless people start using the other terms, it it never will. So I think it's always going to be an ongoing issue. But my feeling is at the end of the day is just to, like I said, just to ask what people prefer because it can vary. Um, it can vary depending on, as you said, too, people in Europe have a very uh, particular experience in some countries with this term um, and absolutely will not use it. People that I've worked with in activism absolutely will never use the word like Tsigani or Tsigan. No way. People in the United States that come from different communities sometimes use it with each other when we're speaking English, um, but also are not like really using it outside the community. So it just, it depends. There's a lot of context here that also has to be taken into consideration. Mm. And just to sort of like finish this topic about terminology and move on to other important things. um, If you're talking about word gypsy by itself, without those 
connotations or like whatever meaning we are putting it. Do you know by any chance what is actual meaning? Because you mentioned, for instance, Roma in your language means people. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'm catching you by surprise <laughs> in no. this question. But if just to take the word where it came from, what did actually the word itself means? The word gypsy? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I do have a, <laughs> a book here. So this book, um, there's a, ling- a linguist um, whose name is Ian Hancock. He's a professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He is a Romani man himself. He does speak, um, to my knowledge, at least two dialects of our language and um, possibly more. I know he speaks several languages, um, but he uh, wrote about this in his book, which is a handbook of Romani, Vlach Romani. That's one of the dialects. So he said that um, the word Gypsy comes from these different words in Greek, Albanian, and Macedonian um, that mean Egyptian, which are, uh, let's see, I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't speak any of those languages, <laughs> but Giftos, uh, Majup, Gypsy is what it looks like. That's what he has written here. And what he said is that Um, you have to understand that at the time in Europe when Romani people were arriving, it was right before the Ottomans were coming in. So the early 1300s, right before that. And most of the common people, peasantry, the, the thing that they're going to associate dark-skinned people who don't speak their language with is being either Turkish or Egyptian you know, one of those. So there were other terms that people used, but for whatever reason, this is the term that stuck. Mm. Um, but it comes from the word that means Egyptian in these, especially these three languages. Mm. So it literally means Egyptian, which is direct yes. mis- misinterpretation because person may have nothing to do with e- Egypt or uh, Egyptian roots. So that's interesting. Right. Have you seen uh, the movie called uh, Lacha Drum? Yes, I've seen parts of it. I I think I've, I don't know if I've ever watched the entire thing, but parts of it, yeah. It's very inspirational from Mm -hmm. like just dance point of view, music point of view. They picture it very uh, spectacular and nice. But I had a couple of questions because they sort of mix everything and they more just show rather than explain much Mm -hmm. but um basically in that movie they relate all uh all roots to indian tribe called kalbelia like it's very interesting the point that you mentioned that roma by the way what would be the right right way to say like we say roma is roma people but if you're talking roma people or romani people is it roma culture or romani culture roma dance or romani dance <laughs> so uh romani is the adjective mm-hmm. um like if you're going to describe like is this is this dance romani or you could say like i mean you can say that about you know is this person romani is she romani is he romani Roma in our language is a plural for um, people. Mm-hmm. All, all. Mm-hmm. So are they Roma? You wouldn't, I mean, 
if somebody said, are you Roma? You know, I would say yes, because I don't expect them to know what it means in our language. But I mean, I just wanted to, I guess, convey that there are words that we have for ourselves that are taken from how we talk about each other that are more respectful to use. But I would use Romani if I'm describing in English something that is Romani, like Turkish Romani or Turkish Romani dance is describing what the dance is. Not like Roma dance. It sounds weird to me, but I, I would know what you're talking mm. about. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would say Romani dance, personally. Okay. I think <laughs> I'll need to reread all my <laughs> previous I mean, messages and error because it's sometimes confusing. Yeah. Like, like, for example, you know, if you're talking about a man, just a man in our language, it's a rom, R-O-M. If you're talking about a woman, a romni. If you're talking about everybody, koma all of us, like Roma, all people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't have to get that, you know, to that level. But I think uh, if if it's not plural, like I would say Romani is the best adjective, you know, unless mm -hmm. you're talking about a group. Okay, good to know. <laughs> so coming back to the uh, movie, uh, they basically connected, uh, they started the movie with the scene in this Indian Kalbele tribe. And mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, then I was trying to do my research, but obviously my research was just uh, limited to internet and articles. But I saw that some historian, they, historians, they link uh, Romani culture to that it's sort of studied with Indian Kalbelia tribe migrating outside of India. And then during this migration, they became Roma. How, what, do you have anything to say about this? I'm not sure because I had a couple other questions about this movie, like how really historically correct it represents it and uh, now like listen to you I sort of start questioning that thing too <laughs> okay well I know that the person who made this movie is Romani man who is French and this is his take on how we migrated from India and where we went and just trying to showcase some of the music and the dance and a little bit of what he thinks like the cultural interactions would be for different populations along the Romani trail. Lacho Drome actually means good road, although I think that's been translated to like safe journey. Um, but you would say that to somebody if you if they were leaving, uh, you know, you could mm -hmm. say Lacho Drome, like, like we would say in English, like, you know, safe travels, whatever. So that's what this literally means. So he, um, I do know that, of course, this, the scenes are staged. Uh, they're not spontaneous. Um, and he's choosing particular settings and lighting and musical choices. So um, I, my, my view, this is not a historically, this is not a historical movie um, in terms of like, it accurately doc documents everything. It's more just like an interesting, fun, artistic uh, movie that gives a little snapshot into some of our musical cultures. But it's more, um, it's more movie than this is historically accurate fact in every instance. 
Um, the population that Romani scholars think that we descended from in India is actually the Banjara. And I, to be quite honest with you, have not studied Cabelia, and I don't know what their connection to that community may or may not be. So I can't really tell you if they are from that community or not. Um, I do know that the Banjara that are in India do feel that they are our ancestors. And there is a, a newspaper um, that somebody's telling me about that is like the Banjara Roma, which is weird because there are, as I said, no Roma in India. But they they do have... Um, some contact with different activists in different countries, and we are in communications, um, even though our connection would have been over at this point over a thousand years back. Oh, wow. Um, but um, what is interesting is that our actual route of migration, you can trace it through our language. Um, as I was saying, um, this uh, this scholar, Dr. Hancock, who is, by the way, um, probably one of the most globally known and uh, cited credible experts, um, on, especially on our linguistics, has said that our language is a key to understanding these migrations and that it's like an onion. So you have like the inner layer, you have um, Hindi and Dardic. And then the next part of it, you have Persian, which um, there's over 100 Persian words in our language. My husband is Persian and I have been to Iran twice. And there have been times that I actually have understood what people are saying because it's the same exact word. Uh, when we were shopping for rings, for example, we were uh, just jewelry shopping and um, I knew that he was talking about rings because it's the same word in our language, too. So that was kind of interesting, you know, <laughs> or people telling us to come in and sit down. The word for sit down in our language is also the same as Persian. So um, there's that. And then um, he said there's about 40 words that are Armenian in our language. And then um Further along, if you look in medieval Greek, there's about 200 words. And even our counting um, is 1 to 10 is Hindi, really close to Persian. I mean, they're similar. But 7, 8, and 9 are Greek. Mm. So <laughs> for some reason. So when I was in Iran, there actually are Romani people that are in Iran that I don't know if they went to Europe and then or went up into Russia and then came back down. But I called them when I was there and we talked on the phone and I, I was asking them, how long have you been here? And they said, well, we actually don't really know. And we don't know if it's been 200 years, if it's been less than that. And I said, well, will you count to one to 10 for me? Cause I just wanted to see if the seven, eight, and nine <laughs> were Greek and it was. So I said, well, I know you guys at least went that far because seven, eight, and nine are, are also Greek, and we say that the same way. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can use the language to figure out where people were going if you know enough of it. But really about three-quarters of the language um, for Romani is Hindi, based on Hindi. So, if, um, you know, a Hindi speaker would definitely be able to pick out words that we use that are similar. Uh, some some of the same root words are actually identical. 
was this uh, uh, sort of blend of uh, original roots and local cultures? Was it just in language? Uh, I'm kind of mm-hmm. trying to get to the question, okay, what was happening with the dance? <laughs> because if you take oh, a look, okay. yeah. Turkish Roma dance is very different from Indian dance, even if you're talking, uh, sorry, Turkish Romani dance is very different from Indian dance, whichever group it is. So what was happening with the dance <laughs> during this migration? Um, so one thing that I will say that is a personal um pet peeve of mine is when belly dancers say like gypsy people they don't have anything to do with belly dance and that is not true because so one thing that you mentioned is having the dance forms changing and that I'm I'm sure definitely happened there are um records from the period of the Ottoman Empire that we can look at and see that there were, especially, for example, tax registers um, of whole families who were performing artists, like guilds of musicians and dancers who were hired for private parties, who danced for nobility, as well as did public performance. There are also laws passed. um, I mentioned this in my other um, lecture that limited the amount that you could legally pay a dancer or a musician Uh, a Romani dancer and a musician uh, for a party. And so this shows you the level of opulence was pretty extreme to the point that officials of the time knew that they didn't want all these people to have this much money uh, in their hands. And so they passed laws against um, things like this. So this points to the fact that, you know, when we came into different countries, uh, the people of our different cultures uh, or different, you know, Romani, Domari, a lot of us would learn the folkloric, local folkloric styles and also add to them. And even today, if you look at uh, the Kaulia or the Gawazi or even the Turkish Romani, we are the only ones that do this style. No one else does it. So whether we brought it with us or whether it was something that we learned and preserved, we definitely had an impact on the local folklore. Um, and this is also happening in the Balkans. Uh, when there are records of people performing and being involved in musical performance. But the other thing is there are also a lack of records. There are unfortunately no musical notation for what was present before Romani people came into the Balkans. So we don't actually know what was there before we got there. There's there's no way to know how completely old this is or how, how old the dances that we're doing are. And a lot of it is passed down through families and through especially performing families and artists and musicians. And through centuries, and this has been going on for well, centuries. <laughs> so today in the Balkans, there are families who are, for example, wedding musicians who get hired to do traditional weddings. Um, if you're not familiar with Balkan wedding traditions, they can be pretty extensive. Some weddings are five to six days. And there are a lot of really specific things that need to happen at certain times. Certain people and family members play very specific roles 
for some of the rituals that need to take place. And sometimes the Romani musicians have to give some guidance to the people who they're playing for about what needs to happen because they're the only ones who are so familiar with these traditions just by virtue of doing so many weddings over and over. So in a lot of places, I guess what I'm saying is we do uh, learn and preserve the traditions that are there. But I'm sure that there has been um, some innovation and probably some, you know, changing of the styles. Like even if you look at uh, Badi Masadni and starting, you know, I know she wasn't the first one, but when she started her casino and the, the costuming and the pictures that we see from that era and how much the dance has changed even in a hundred years, you know, you would have to think that probably there's been huge changes. If you're talking a thousand year time span, of course, it's going to be different. You know, some things might be retained, but some things will be changed. I think that's just kind of how dance is. Um, there's nothing static about dance, but there are uh, roots that you can find. Uh, some of what I have done as a researcher is to look not only at linguistics, but also textual sources, primary source documents, and travel writings, which in Egypt, for example, if you look at the work of Edward Lane, how he uh, wrote extensively on Gawazi, you can uh, see that they were the public performers. You know, and you wonder how dance and public performance would be different had they not been there, had there not been public performances. You actually brought me to sort of a spiral idea. <laughs> Again, I'm not a researcher. I just like was now thinking like because I was very interested about this topic and mutual uh, influence during my university, uh, like studies, mutual influence of, okay, we talk that today ballet dance is, uh, influenced by ballet, by modern dance, by a lot of Western influence. But I was also looking, was Western dance influenced by ballet dance? Let's say all, all those times there was no ballet dance. It was Middle Eastern, let's say folkloric or this image of what later became ballet dance. And then uh, what you just said got, of, got me to a sort of uh, spiral, I guess, <laughs> how to call it. Because all those travelers, they were describing Middle Eastern dancers, Gavazi dances mostly because that's who they could see later. Mm -hmm. Based on those travel notes, modern dancers who were imitating, they were not doing Middle Eastern dance, but later uh, the same like, I don't know, Matahari or mm -hmm. like all those dancers uh, who were creating later their shows based on the idea of, and in their mind, Middle East and uh, Far East, it was sort of all mixed and all, all, all very confusing and all the same. They were just creating idea. But then later they built sort of Western expectations to what this kind of dance should look like. And that later, possibly those expectations, they influenced the same uh, Maria Masavni who created her casino because she trained her dancers to fit Western expectations so she could have audience coming to her place mm -hmm. and doing a business right. and the audience who would be interested. So it's interesting how maybe like not really Romani dance is 
it's definitely not the same as ballet dance, but influence is so interesting. Mm -hmm. It's uh, sort of if to look through the bigger branch again i'm not a researcher it's just right now pop up this idea based on what i knew and i was interested about but uh, it's interesting to see like everything is so so connected and it's never just one way uh one direction influence oh no i mean even in like i'm doing research right now in the balkans and i have documents of traveling performers from Egypt that are acrobats that are there doing a show. This isn't like the mid 1300s. I mean, you know, and then there are also records of um, even miniatures that you can see of Romani performers playing uh, Zorna or their, or Zorla, which is as some people call it in the Balkans and Tapan or Davul as it's called in Turkey. We did uh, according to um scholars of Balkan music as well as Turkish music, we we did bring those to the Balkans. That is um, not debated at this point. And what is interesting is those are such a huge part of folkloric dance and music in almost the majority of, of Balkan countries. Because uh, you have to think too at that time, um, if you've ever heard of Zerna, it's really loud. <laughs> and um, this is going to be outdoors at a wedding. Um, and if you have a Zorla and a drum, that's really all you need uh, to have a loud amplified sound and be performing, doing line dances, um, having this rhythm. But then, of course, in the Balkans, you also have the solo dance, Chocek or Chichek, some, it's different in different dialects. And that is also coming from the Kocek, uh, which the dancers in Turkey, who were the male dancers. Um, so there's a lot of uh, ebb and flow as people were going from Turkey, as people were, you know, possibly coming back or getting hired to perform for different regions. The Balkan Romani musicians I know who are contemporary musicians know many, many, many repertoires for different uh, styles of Chocek, different styles of music. Some of them that are Bulgarian know like, okay, this is how you play a, a melody for this region of Bulgaria, or this is the song you play when people are at the banquet, and this is the song you play when people want to dance to this. I mean, it's actually very, very extensive. Um, the knowledge you have to have as a traditional musician is very extensive. So this is one reason that I hope, you know, people are listening to this and they're interested in Romani dance. I really hope they feel inspired to study the folklore because there's so much and it's so broad that even if you choose one area, it could take you several lifetimes to really know it. Um, but it's it's fascinating, I think. <laughs> What are the main, uh, uh, let's say, mistakes or misconceptions that you see on a dance stage uh, connected Then someone is presenting uh, whatever they call it, either Romani or Gypsy or specific uh, group name dance? Uh, what are the main things that you'd like to bring dancers' attention to? One thing is, of course, terminology. I think we touched on that a little bit. Um, I think if you're going to do a flamenco piece, just say that you're doing flamenco. If you're going to do uh, Russian Romani, say that. If you're going to do 
Turkish Romani, call it that. If you're going to do a çoçak, call it that. I mean, there's no reason at this point in time why you can't use the name of the dance that you're doing in your advertising. Um, and sometimes I see people put together a fusion piece and call it gypsy. I don't really like that because the audience, I mean, a general audience, they're not informed consumers of dance or culture usually. So you're adding to confusion when you do that. And also, if it's bad fusion, it's it's even worse because people will look at that and say, oh, that's Romani dance. Like, you know, I mean, but the other thing is some of the actual Romani dances are difficult. Uh, they're more difficult than people probably realize until they try to do them. <laughs> um, so it's it's always such a. Um, an awesome feeling when I see somebody doing folklore and really nailing it because I know this person has done their homework and I know they've put in practice and they have that cultural respect as an audience member seeing your culture represented that way is so heartwarming so I would say at some point you have to make a decision about what kind of dancer you want to be do you want to be respectful and do you really want to know what you're doing or do you just want to, you know, go around the stage in a pretty costume? Yeah, that's one of the main things that I keep seeing is uh, taking uh, uh, whatever music very often from Turkish Romani music and then putting on uh, Russian Romani dance with a white skirt and a bunch of flips and uh, yeah. like one of the things that I keep seeing like do a little bit more research and actually what music you are taking to match yeah. the dance to music not just think oh it's from the same Romani culture because as we talked now it's completely different yeah um also very typical situation that I see on uh, dance competitions belly dance competitions is then people do kaulia dance in folklore category, mm -hmm. but then it comes to Russian uh, Romani dance, they put it in a fusion. Oh, really? Yeah. I never almost, honestly, I don't even remember I ever saw a Russian Romani dance in folklore category at ballet dance competition, but I saw it multiple times in fusion category. Mm, that's interesting. So that's actually brings me to another thing. I do want to go through some dance styles mm -hmm. that most ballet dancers will be familiar okay. with, most likely. And let's just uh, briefly cue them. Do, does it has anything to do with Romani culture or not? And if you feel anything to add about, I don't know, description or proper name of the group who does this dance or anything like that. So let's actually start, for instance, um, Iraqi Kaulia dance. Mm -hmm. We sort of mentioned about it, but uh, just so that people have more sense that these dances, they look very different, but maybe they have something in common and it's sort of funny to see this logic that somehow Russian Romani dance is a fusion, but Iraqi Kavliya is a folklore. So yeah. Iraqi Kavliya, as we discussed, it has to do with Romani culture, right? D Domari. Domari. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I mean, and the other thing that I will point out, which um, may make this a little bit clearer, is that um, in Iraq, citizenship and descent are very important and closely linked. And the way that people determine who is Iraqi and who is not is based on their lineages, which Kalia, uh, you know, it's a tri- still um, tribally based. Uh, um, how can I describe like what your last name is and who you're descended from? That's easy for people to trace. That's an important marker of identity. And because Kalia are unable to do that because they are not from, quote unquote, Iraq originally, um, they actually were not even granted citizenship until, I believe, either 1979 or 1980. Um, so until that time, they were considered foreigners and they were not able to access, um, you know, educational services or other services that citizens were able to uh, to enjoy um, until that period of time. So they are um, still considered outside of, you know, ethnically um, differentiated from Iraqi citizens or ethnic Iraqis. Um, And the dance is also a way to um, earn income and performance opportunities. Unfortunately, because it is public and because it is a more conservative society, it's not considered a acceptable occupation for women. So um, there is linkages that the dominant society has made between this dance form and being a woman woman of ill repute i guess but it is connected to that community then uh, what uh, when we have egyptian gavazi we also sort of talked mm-hmm. so it's also is it domani domari or romani domari yeah and i think you'll find this as a common thread um between uh domari and romani public performers who are women um that could be one of the contributing factors to the stereotypes that people have about romani women being um overtly sexual or temptresses is because we are or were especially historically performing in regions or countries or time periods where that was not what women did. Mm -hmm. So um, it's the same for Gawazi as well, Mm -hmm. uh, being public performers and having the, the bad reputation as a woman. I also heard once uh, that uh, someone was putting a Persian boundary dance as a part mm-hmm. of this culture. Oh, I have never heard that. My understanding of Persian boundary dance is that it comes from the um, southwestern part of the country and that it has a connection to immigrants from the Gulf as well as different uh, possibly African countries. So I have never heard that. Um If someone else has a citation on that or anything I can read, I'm always willing to, you know, consider new information, mm-hmm. but I have never heard that. 
Mm. Yeah, just uh, interesting clarifying because I was once participating in the production that it was a group production and the choreographer was put in Persian boundary dance mm -hmm. as a part and the whole production was inspired by Romani culture mm -hmm. and I was kind of like, okay, maybe, I don't know something, but good to hear from you. And if you're talking about uh, uh, Romani people in Iran, what uh, do they have any particular dance styles? Uh? They do, and I am in touch with them. Um, they have a couple styles that they are sharing with me, which I feel so humbled that they are doing that, um, that I would really hope that if they, um, if I have their blessing to share those, I would, um, I would let them make that call. But at this point, I'm in touch with some of their traditional musicians. Some of them are incredible traditional musicians. Um, there are some older men in the community, especially who are musicians. There may also be women who dance or play music, but they do not post that publicly mm. on any forums. So until I actually go there again and can speak with them in person, um, I won't know that. But at this point, I've been in touch uh, through my husband as well um, with some of the men who are uh, doing the music and sending dance videos. And it's really incredible. Oh, I can't wait. I'm very <laughs> curious, uh, specifically yeah. in the Iranian culture as well. But it's not any of the widely known uh, dance forms. No. You mean possible um, search by name somewhere? No, <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Um, no, they don't have like a particular name for it. Mm. And I'm still trying to, uh, there's another Iranian researcher that I am also in touch with. And I'm trying to determine if they have t actually taken different styles of dance that were present and kind of made it their own mm. or if they were um, creating this or it's just completely unique to their community because they are in the north kind of northwest and central region of the country So I, at this point, don't know enough about the dance forms that are already present there. So it's an area that I'm still researching. Hmm. Looking forward to, to, to hear about it. Well, if you have a minute, I have just a couple more <laughs> questions. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just to finish this sort of a dance geography conversation. So uh, sort of the end of geographical journey at least visual on the map, probably will be Spain and Spanish flamenco as a part of Romani uh, culture too, or would it be a Domari culture as well? Romani. Romani. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about Middle East, uh, was there any other traits or dance styles that are present in other countries, let's say between Turkey, Egypt and Spain? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh -huh. a big region, but like, let's say about like, I don't know, Mar Morocco, for instance, is there uh, uh, like some um, Romani or Domari style dances that may be now related or are parts now of Middle Eastern folklore dance, but they come from the culture of Domari and Domari? From, from North Africa? Like yes. from not, that are not part of Egypt? Yes, like we mentioned, Egypt... 
Is there any other dance styles in Egyptian culture except Egyptian Gavazi that are related to this uh, branch of? Not that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I was thinking, like, we briefly mentioned, uh, like, we talked about Iraq, we talked about Egypt, about Turkey, obviously. Uh, but other countries that sometimes dancers may um, stay away from their main focus, but something mm -hmm. that is uh, really interesting and worth bringing attention to. <laughs> oh, well... Personally, my <laughs> my uh, my own family is Hungarian and Croatian Romani, and we have what's called chardash. Although it's a lot of footwork, it's a little bit different. Um, I think that's probably not well known, but I do like it. Um, mm -hmm. And also, chachak in the Balkans is, I think very beautiful it's multi-layered with all kinds of uh intertwined with different um you know kind of celebrations whether it's marriages or uh community gatherings or different kinds there are other forms of dance too even here in the united states that people do that I have not seen anywhere and there are some really good dancers who are American Romani. Usually this is done in a context of a wedding and it's mainly footwork. Um, I would say it's similar in some ways to Russian Romani, but it's also not as, um, not as clearly defined in terms of what the, um, what the rest of the body is doing, your arms and everything. It's more footwork, completely footwork based. And there are women here who are just phenomenal at it. And there's no name for it. <laughs> but um, whenever I go to a wedding, I always look forward to that particular part of the wedding, what's uh, here they call it a pachiv, and I believe it's also called that in the Balkans and some other regions where you put the woman from a particular family, whoever your best dancer is, to dance in front of everybody. And it's a respectful presentation and, you know, it's part of the wedding ceremony. You can't really have a wedding without having this occur and it's kind of a friendly competition as well. When someone puts you to dance, you really need to bring it. You really need to bring your baby. <laughs> um, no pressure. No pressure. There's only uh, 400 people watching you. But um, it's, it's a beautiful part of it because everybody will cheer you on. Everybody will um, encourage you. And sometimes they even put little girls to dance and it's just I would I would end on you know dance for our community it's more than just a display or a performance for outsider outsiders it's really also part of what is bringing our communities together and it's what is like I don't even know how to say it I mean like it's part of like it you can't take it out it's part mm -hmm. of who we are and it's part of uh what makes the community functions 
happen the, the way that they do. So it's really beautiful. Um, I just wish that people could see this part of the culture because it is, um, you know, it's respectful, it's uh, celebratory, it's happy. And when someone says Romani dance to me, this is what I think about. Mm. Um, so when somebody says they're going to perform Romani dance, that's also what I want to see. Yeah, so true. It's always uh, very fascinating to me to see uh, communities and uh, people's groups and even nations for whom dance and music is still alive from uh, a long time ago. And it, it's the part of their, not just heritage, but like day-to-day -day life. Uh, because in some countries, in some communities, we have, uh, yeah, we know oh, this is traditional dance of uh, whichever country or nation, but it's not embedded in day-to-day -day, uh, life of people in their like celebrations traditions necessarily it's more like historical phenomena but whenever it's um, something that is still alive it's always fascinating how it can uh, unite and keep people together even without even without necessarily pronounce you know stating it it just it's just there <laughs> it's just this unspoken language which unites with this dancing music right well, before I ask uh, our final question, podcast question, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking your time and uh, giving us a tour across all the terminology. I know there was a lot of things that we didn't touch in and we stayed more in our, let's say, dense realm of the uh, things that happening, but there is much more deeper and um, uh, also uh, historical and uh, cultural topics that I think it's very important for dancers to understand if they decide to perform these kind of dances. So we keep that conversation very light, I would say, <laughs> knowing a little, at least a little bit about this topic. So, yeah. But I hope it can interest people to go and research more and uh, sort of just spark their interest to not just take music and whatever you think the dance is like, but actually go study the dance, the music and cultural, social and historical um, background of the dance culture for sure. And uh, can you tell us please, uh, uh, where can people find more of your work, more your research, and there they can follow? Is it more website, maybe Facebook, Instagram, where you put in all your awesome uh, content? You know, I don't have it centrally located, so maybe that is something that I need to do. <laughs> um, although I do have a few articles out if you, you know, people just do a Google search for my name. There should be things popping up. I wrote something for Belly Dance U, which is 10 things about Romani people that you probably believe that are true, that aren't. I was also interviewed for a couple other articles that people wrote about Romani Americans that should be available online as well. Um, I do have an Instagram page. I do have a Facebook, but my Facebook is a combination of my personal life and dance. So you, there will be definitely announcements for what I'm doing, but you may also see like what I'm eating for dinner. So if you want that, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I would say Instagram would probably be the best place 
to find me if I do any upcoming lectures or if I have a class coming up. I just recently taught a class here on beginning Turkish Romani. Um, I always have an announcement there. I do perform locally as well. So if I'm performing, I try to keep people updated uh, so they can see what I'm up to. Okay, so Instagram is the best uh, best spot for news and the cup. If you have yeah. any lectures or articles, I will definitely mm -hmm. link a couple of articles directly in the show links uh, okay. because I saw some of them, so people can uh, find easily. But if you have any particular suggestions that you know, oh, that article would be awesome, please send mm -hmm. to me. So we're directing people more... Uh, You know better your content, like I, I found a bunch of them, of course. Uh, but again, uh, you're very welcome to send, so we direct. And uh, again, once again, uh, thank you for your time and for sharing this. And uh, I always uh, finish every podcast with the same question. I usually ask it about ballet dance, but mm -hmm. because we talked mostly about Romani dance, uh, I will combine It will be both, and then okay. you you can you can decide to which uh, towards which uh, dance form uh, you want to answer it, or maybe both, or something else. Whatever, it's more like whatever you feel. But the question is, what uh, makes you fall in love with ballet dance and Romani dance? Again and again, day after day. So you keep doing and researching and putting given input in in those dance forms for so many years? Um, I feel that when it comes to belly dance, I love the music. That's the first thing that attracted me to this dance form. And I feel like I'm always learning about music and I'm learning about movement and where it comes from and that there will never be an end to what I can continue to teach myself and what I can continue to learn from other people. So it's never over. And I feel the same way about Romani dance. Um, it's because it's connection to folklore and to history and to culture. And it feels even more personal for me because it is part of my culture. So One thing that I feel might be my purpose when it comes to Romani dance is to help other people understand the connection this dance form has to culture. It's not just a set of movements and it's not just moving your body this way or that. Um, it's a complete form of movement and culture and feeling and history And all of that needs to go into really understanding it and presenting it in a respectful manner. So I hope that I can help educate people on some of the basics. And as you said, I hope it inspires them to learn more and to study with um, people who are experts in different styles and to really appreciate the beauty of the different styles that are out there. Guys. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. 
as well as you can connect with me on social media by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcasts so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.